welcome to the next episode or this episode of Clock Combos. We have very special guests today, um, Nick Freud and Rob Carroll of Campus Real. Hey guys, this is Sheila and Maya Dunn, and you're listening to Clock Combos. <laughs> Yeah, so welcome, welcome Nick and Rob. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having us. Super excited to be here. Yeah, so just as a, as a background for our listeners, Nick and Rob are uh, founders of Campus Real, which has a host of thousands and thousands of videos created by students for students across um, universities all, all across the, the globe, right? Guys, you guys are international as well. Yep. Yeah, so obviously um, with with COVID and things uh, going more virtual too, I'm sure there's a lot of updates uh, that we'll be excited to hear about uh, with Campus Real. So I really liked the the saying, sort of turning students into storytellers. Could you guys give just a brief background on like how this this idea came into fruition and how it's evolved over time? Ravi, on again. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so on a high level, uh, you, Nick and I went to school with Sheila, or at least at the same alma mater. And uh, we had been kind of working part time on campus real for five or six months. And uh, I was working at a full time job doing something else Nick was too. Colgate gave us a grant to essentially develop the very first iteration of campus real, which at the time was very traditional university virtual tours. Um, and it seemed like a very compelling idea. We were young. We didn't know anything about building a business or scaling a business. Eventually, over the course of those four to five months, we realized that that idea was just not very scalable, super capital intensive. A lot of reasons why it didn't make sense as a business for us to go down. But we did recognize this need um, in the market where prospective students and families, in order to get an understanding of their university options, they pretty much needed to visit in person or they needed to know somebody on campus, you know, who was maybe a, a few years ahead of them in high school. Uh, if you didn't have those two luxuries, you were pretty much shooting in the dark. So we realized um, that we could essentially help bridge that information gap by crowdsourcing videos. Um, and our videos are very different than traditional university videos. These are made by students uh, through their own lens. It's, it's essentially crowdsourced. Um, and we could do that or, or leverage that idea and technology to create thousands of perspectives across hundreds of universities and the world um, much more quickly than going campus to campus with a VR camera. So today we have a website uh, for Campus Real that has 500,000 monthly users. We also um, have a partner network where all of our videos are syndicated across the web and that reaches 3 million students a month. Um, and now we're really focusing on growing our core revenue business, which is university partnerships. So we've partnered with not just universities, but programs actually um, across undergraduate, graduate, uh, domestically here in the US, Canada, um, now into Europe, and we even have a client in Singapore. Um, so we're really focusing on scaling that offering. And that's kind of, in a nutshell, what's happened over the last four years. <laughs> Wow. So, so you, when you were in the Entrepreneurs Fund, so that's, um, that's how we got connected is through the summer program at Colgate. How many, you were just getting started. So you had, do you know roughly like your traffic or? <laughs> we didn't even have a website. 
<laughs> we had a Google Drive folder uh, with like three videos in it that we could show some people. Yeah. That's incredible. So four years later, you're 500,000 users on the platform. Yeah. And we've reached more than that, but, but yeah. And you know, our goal is to hopefully triple that or five X in the next 12 months. Uh, I, I exactly one year ago, we had a hundred thousand monthly users. So we've had 500% growth in 12 months. And um, a year and a half ago, we had like 2000 monthly users. So we did have that kind of traditional hockey stick growth, but it wasn't a hockey stick the way like Snapchat and uh, Uber and all these other companies kind of explode that investors try to make you think is realistic. <laughs> There's like a lot of engineering that went into it. Um, but yeah, the growth has been really good for us. To Rob's point, like to get a deep understanding of a school, you really have to go visit. But there's millions of students every year who just like simply do not have the resources to go travel the country to look at their college options. And it felt really silly to us that that, that one little pain point, the fact that they couldn't travel was such a limiting factor um, in, in their college search decision. And, and you know, what college you go to is like the most consequential, scariest decision that a young adult gets to make. And we just realized how many millions of students are doing that every year with incomplete information. Um, so it wasn't necessarily that we thought we had the best business idea ever, that we kind of did like naively at the time. We just always said to ourselves, like, if we don't build this, someone else is going to. Like, this is a real problem that isn't going anywhere. How was that risk? Like, was that risky? Did you feel like it was a big risk or were you just so confident in the idea that there was no second thoughts in terms of moving from what you were doing to pursuing this full time? I think it's the, uh, the beauty of doing this when you're young. Like, I think sometimes people give advice, like go work for, you know, five to 10 years, like wait until you have the perfect idea that you feel really comfortable doing, have some corporate experience, you know, when you're young in your thirties, like that's a good time to go after it. But I mean, Rob had it. I was bartending, so it was like no risk to me. But Rob had a real job, but I think he he was not super pumped on it as it was. Um, we didn't have kids to support. Like we didn't have you know a whole family that we needed to go out and do. We didn't feel like our career would take like would be like massively derailed if we went and tried something for a year. Um, so I think we really just wrote out that energy of like we're young, we're in our twenties. This is you don't have too many shots to like take a real risk. And this, this really just felt like the time to do it. Um, and then I think we also both had a, a very unjustified, but high level of like confidence in ourselves and just our ability to pull something off. Like, I think we both always felt like, you know, we had always been brainstorming ideas. Like this wasn't the first business that we had thought of. It was just the one that really stuck. But I think we had always felt like if we could come up with an idea that realistically could exist, then we could probably pull it off, which was not justified, but that's kind of how we felt. You have to have some confidence, right? And, and persistence yeah. and optimism, right? It has yeah. to be almost- so What actually, uh, it's funny because I was talking with somebody yesterday um, who kind of, you know, sporadically quit their job with no real reason or rationale and they want to start a business, which is great. Um, and I support all that. Their business could not be more in its infancy. Like they literally thought of the idea two days ago and they quit their job the day after. Um, and I would say that to Nick's point, we both share the same philosophy. There's entrepreneurship is completely experiential. It doesn't matter how many textbooks you read, how many stories you listen to, you're either doing it or you're not. And, uh, and there's really nothing that can prepare you for it. You just have to jump into the deep end. Um, and you definitely have to take a leap of faith in doing that. Uh, at the same time, 
if you actually look at our timeline, like Nick and I were, were only doing this part-time for the first four or five months, I think. You know, I, I, I had a good job. I, I realized very, very early on, like within three weeks of being at my job that I wasn't gonna learn anything that would prepare me to start a business. That's no offense to what, what those jobs provide. There's a lot of other things that they provide. I got really good at Excel and all this other stuff. Uh, but in terms of building a business from zero to 60, that wasn't there and I realized that and that's not what I wanted. Um, so I was very willing to jump ship but I was also very careful in how I jumped. Like I was just jumping into the deep end, you know, like I knew how deep the water is. I had some life preservers on hand, you know, um, like I, I, I felt okay taking that risk, but it, it wasn't like we thought of the idea and two weeks later, you know, both of us were full-time on campus. We all never looked back. There was a four month uh, kind of cushion where we validated the market. We talked with people at Colgate. We talked with directors of communications, uh, we did a ton of research into this. And then it was once Colgate gave us that grant, that's where we had the stamp of approval where it's like, all right, 60 people applied for this grant, five people got it, we're on to something. Worst case scenario, we do this and it doesn't work out, but it was an awesome experience and we couldn't have tried to hedge our bets anymore. You know, right. so I would just say like, there's a lot you can do on an idea before having to completely throw everything to the wind and, and take that leap of faith, you know? I also think just just one more line to that. And I, I said it earlier, but I think it also applies to this. Like I felt so much more willing to take the risk because we were solving a problem. It just it, it and and also because our we were doing something that was within a pre-existing industry that we felt like was very antiquated and there were a lot of issues. And the key problem we were, were tapping into, again, it wasn't going anywhere and it really affects a lot of people. Um, I think if we had a business that was like a value add as opposed to a problem solve. Like there's nothing, that, those are great businesses if you can pull them off and there's a lot of really good ones. But I think, you know, there, there's a big risk to kind of take the leap in faith and start. I feel like the bigger point where it felt like a risk was when we were like a year and a half in two years and like we had good traction, but we, you know, if there was no telling if this was going to work or not, like we still felt so confident, but like you're kind of just like getting owned all day. Um, and it's, and then we were getting to the point, like we've been doing this for two and a half years. Like we've sacrificed salaries. How much longer are we going to do? Like at that point is where I think there was like, oh, I was starting to think a little bit more about my life. I'm like, okay, I'm becoming 26, 27. Like at a certain point, I can't be like doing an entry level job at 30. Um, but we, I, I think the, the thing that really held us on there is like, we're solving a problem. This isn't going anywhere. And if we can pull this off, it'll be so helpful for people. I'm not sure if we would have had that level of confidence or persistence if it, we were making, you know, like a value add app or something. Mm. Yeah, so I we I completely agree with the timing of things. Um, our very first episode was actually why you should start a business venture in college. You know, take an opportunity of a time where you don't have as many responsibilities. And there's so much you can do as well that part-time, right? You can work, validate it, do your research before just taking the plunge. Um, the other thing too, is I think it's super helpful to have a, have a team, like it, you know, you're going in with someone else, you're both on the same page. Um, but so you went from this year, year and a half, then a, what, two years later being on Forbes under 30 and, and tons and tons of traffic and, and um, momentum going, what, what changed? Yeah. So I, I would say one that I think when people look at startups, 
it's really difficult for people on the outside looking in to quantify success or where you're at or kind of like how well the business is doing. And I think there's kind of three metrics that people use to get an understanding of where a startup is at. One is how much money have you raised, which I think is a really misguided way to quantify it. Horrible. Two, how big Horrible. is your team? We could have a whole episode on that, Sheila. Yeah, yeah. We could, yeah, yeah. Uh, two is how big is your team, which I also think is doesn't make any sense to quantify it. And then three is what kind of press and recognition have you received? Um, so I think to your point about like the Forbes 30 under 30, we got that, you know, that was last November. That was about a year ago. And uh, it was it was like one of the coolest things that's ever happened to us, a phenomenal point of recognition. We definitely got a lot of exposure on a national scale, which was great, but that was not like where we felt like we arrived or we necessarily made it. That was to the outside world looking in, I think it gave that perspective, but for us, we still had a lot of things that we needed to figure out from a business perspective. And it, it was amazing and it gave us a push, but um, we didn't feel like we really arrived until our business as we understood it was at the point that we wanted it to be, where we understood our business model, where we saw a clear path to keep scaling. When we became profitable, like that was a way bigger milestone for us. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't exactly answer the question, but I, it has been interesting to me how the perception of success and making it and doing well is very different than the reality can be. Yeah. And also like, um, I don't know, there's, if we had to break Campus Real up into a few component pieces, like prior to Forbes 30 under 30, I don't think that there were any big things that we could point to that we could say, see that idea or that event is what led to this, right? T to be honest, over the last six months, there have been a lot more existential changes. Like we've made multiple new hires. We've gotten some really big contracts and we're reinvesting that money to do things that are moving the business in a fundamental way. What's weird is if you look at the first two and a half or three years of this business, like it was just tiny little micro advances every single day. And that's kind of what was so brutal about it. Like it, you wouldn't wake up and have this aha moment where all of a sudden the game just changed. It was just inch by inch by inch by inch. And maybe every now and then you'd move three inches at a time, but um, it, it was really small and it was essentially just every day showing up and pushing the, pushing the sled forward a little bit more than it was the day before. And then eventually we started getting momentum, but like you couldn't pin that momentum to any specific thing, you know? Yeah. That's why I got patience. Patience is so important. And we were talking about this, Maya, with, with Ryan in our other episode. Um, just, you know, he had graduated college, was really successful in college, graduated, and then, you know, felt like it, it took probably a year and a half for these tiny little um, advances to, to make sense of something. But as long as you're not going backwards, you know, that's <laughs> those things help. Well, and that is to your point, Sheila, about starting a business in college. I mean, I, I did my first little business in college. It was essentially a Craigslist for colleges uh, and it was cool. I was in no position to run it. We never made a dime, uh, but it was like, I learned, okay, it's not that tough to build a website and it's not that tough to do a lot of things that from an outsider's perspective, like you don't even know where to start, you know? Um, so that's when I realized like, oh, entrepreneurship is not this thing that is only accessible to a few people. Like you just really have to take the leap. And that's where I also realized that that's what I wanted to do. But um, uh, 
the patience, Nick and I both said, patience has been the single biggest factor to our success. And I think when you start running out of patience or, or you get tired of kind of being in this holding pattern, that's when people raise money that they shouldn't be raising. They mm -hmm. hire people that they shouldn't be hiring because they think we're not making money. Let's hire a sales guy, right? But if you don't know what your product is, you don't know how to sell it. That guy's not going to make you any money. He's just going to increase your burn and your expenses. Um, and Nick and I were like probably patient to a fault. <laughs> um, and I think, but I think that's why Campus Real didn't go under in their first two and a half years when it really could have. There's no reason why it didn't besides the fact that we just decided to not give up. <laughs> um, so I think that patience is very key. And if you're in college, you have a lot of patience and, and the older you get, the harder it is to have that patience. You know, we, we recognize that when we were 24, I was leaving behind a fine salary and some nice employment benefits. Nick wasn't leaving that much behind <laughs> that he couldn't pick up the next day. Uh, but when you fast forward five years after graduation, where we are now, you know, our friends have like real salaries, you know, there's a big opportunity cost to giving up what their current job is and starting from ground zero. And there's a lot of other things that go into that sacrifice. And then when you have a family and kids and a mortgage, forget about it, right? Like the whole dynamic changes. Um, you don't have that luxury of patience and you might have to raise venture money because you need to provide the lifestyle that you have set up for yourself prior to starting your job. And that venture money is going to be breathing down your neck that you better be moving zero to 60 faster than is, than is reasonable. So anyway, I just, I think your point about starting a business in college or as, as early as possible, it's so key. And uh, this idea that you need to go get real world experience and work at a company first, it's false. It's like, there's no way to start a business besides just starting the business. You just know? doing it. Yeah. yeah. What do you guys love? What's, what would you say is your favorite thing about being an entrepreneur? It sounds like both of you, I mean, there's a debate, like, is it, is it an instinct? Is it like something that's inherent that you're just like entrepreneurial? Is it something you learn over time? Is it just suited to certain people? But what's like your favorite thing about entrepreneurship and have you always wanted both of you to, to be entrepreneurs? Yeah, I, I think uh, we probably both agree. Number one is just autonomy, just like being able to dictate what your life is like at all moments, what your workday is like. I mean, the reality is like, you kind of think that you're gonna, you're gonna start your own business and become like entrepreneur to like, get out of the work week and get out of the like corporate trap but like you end up working the same way that you would at any other job it's just much more on your own terms um so i think that uh that autonomy is my favorite part by far and there's obviously there's just like a ton of a ton of really enjoyable things especially once you start to have some success so just like being young and at the forefront of something and like i i really love being able to sit at a table with people who are like 20 years our senior and like really feel like they respect you and like respect what you're able to do. That's great. Um, but, but the autonomy full stop is like the best part of it. Um, and then I would say like to the feeling like an entrepreneur, I, I think Rob and I are pretty similar, but like also have differences. I, I personally felt, and I don't think Rob is the same way that I was like pretty unemployable. Like, I don't think I really, really ever could have had a corporate job. So I think it was start a business that was successful or find a beach somewhere. Like I'm not really sure. Uh, but but with that, I had a huge risk appetite because I didn't think I was leaving anything behind. And I had like a, a very unwarranted, uh, unwarrantedly high degree of self-confidence that I could pull something off. Where looking back, I had no reason to, like it's just ridiculous to even think that. Um, so I think there is like a little bit in the DNA of someone that it's really just risk appetite. Like 
you just, you're in chaos every single day for like years on end. There's no structure, there's no order, and it gets really mentally and emotionally fatiguing. Um, but if you can weather that and you have a good business idea, then, uh, and, and you do value the autonomy to the extent where you're willing to do something as ridiculous as start your own business, then I think it's like a relatively good cocktail to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, autonomy, 100%. You know, I essentially value autonomy at however much money I didn't earn in the three years it took to start this business. Um, also, uh, for me, knowing that there's like families, having employees has been so cool to me. It's such an eye-opening experience, but to know that, you know, Nick and I worked for so long to put Campus Real into the world. And now that this business is providing for other families and like having these people jump onto our bandwagon or not bandwagon that like, there's no negative connotation, but having these people jump onto our train, right. And take on this mission together is so cool. Um, and it's very humbling. And I feel very honored that people would trust us with that level of responsibility. So having employees has been really, really rewarding and knowing that like, we're helping them put food on the table and all that stuff is cool. Um, so I just, yeah. And, and that's newer for us. You know, we've only had our first employee for six or seven months, and, but now we're hiring three more. And so it's growing quickly, but it's a very cool thing to experience. Yeah. I think Maya, you could speak to this too, but hiring our first full-time employee, um, just seeing, yeah, you're, you're truly impacting someone's life. You're providing a means of living. You're, um, because I, I've always struggled with, with a marketing agency, am I doing good for, you know, I'm helping businesses grow, but you know, there's nonprofits I could start or, you know, it's doing something good. But when you, when you're employing people, you're truly making an impact. Um, yeah. Yeah. Transitioning a bit. What do you guys um, like with COVID and this just crazy year, how do you think COVID has transformed your business or like, has there been any differences you've had to, or challenges you've had to face? Yeah, I think uh, we're very fortunate. I mean, you know, 40% of small businesses just got de got decimated within like two months out of nowhere. Um, so I don't think that's lost on us. Like not only did we, did we not really take a hit from COVID, but I think our business benefited in a, in a pretty meaningful way. Um, when it first happened, it was beneficial to the extent that family, students and parents, I mean, I, I feel bad even using the word beneficial because like it's so bad for everyone, but like for the company itself, it was beneficial to the extent that students and parents uh, just weren't able to go travel. And we had what was perceived as a virtual tour platform. It, it's not really that, but so we, we really did emerge as kind of like one of the resources that was able to be helpful in that space, but where it's become incredibly helpful for our core business, which is now partnering officially with colleges, university grad programs throughout the country and world is that the higher ed space historically has been really hesitant to adopt new technologies. Um, it, it, it's very much like an industry run by an older generation with more antiquated systems and just they've been doing things the same way for a really long time and there hasn't really been a need for them to change it too much. There has been a gradual push towards adopting new technologies and kind of like really living inside of this digital first ecosystem. What COVID did was kind of like rip the bandaid off and make it just non-optional. So like for those institutions that were like, yeah, I get that, you know, video virtual is important. Like I'll give it another year, two years, three years, like there's no rush. The, the conversation just completely changed. Institutions had to put aside budget to bring on new virtual initiatives. So I think in that respect, 
it made our job, our, our, our company just like our solution really did emerge, I think within the industry as something that was like so on the nose for what was needed. Um, but uh, I, I think just the appetite for the industry in general to adopt new technology came at a very, uh, we were kind of hitting a, a, an inflection point where we were perfectly set up to be able to partner with these institutions. So it felt, I mean, I hate saying it felt lucky or fortunate, but like the, the timing was very uh, fortuitous for Campus Real. Um, and, and now I think it's, you know, I don't think we're directly benefiting so much from what's going on with COVID and there are limitations because a lot of institutions are financially having trouble, but it did the whole conversation within the industry about like taking on new technology has completely changed, which I think was our benefit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been crazy, like being in remote school right now and actually seeing how people are and, and institutions themselves are, were able to, I think, pretty successfully um, adapt to it. At least I had a good, a good enough experience. Um, but yeah, like you said, like I started a company in e-commerce, so um, I completely understand like kind of seeing a benefit come out of it, although it was, of course, tragic and still terrible, but. Yeah, when you find a, when you find a solution, um, you know, that you think that you know is going to happen eventually, timing is so important. This is another thing we talked about in the last episode is um, when you're picking your niche, kind of think about when it's gonna be adopted because you know it's going to happen at some point, but you don't know when, you know, it, universities feel, I feel like are some of the slowest moving ones to start adopting new trends. So really COVID just accelerated and forced a need. Um, That's a good point. And that also relates to, you know, what I was saying about how we pivoted from the very original idea of this, you know, virtual reality and someone said to us, uh, we were having this, we were talking with this investor in a Panera or something like that. Uh, and uh, or La Pond, that's where it was. And uh, he was like, yeah, this is all great. But I think you guys are overestimating how rapidly VR is going to be adopted. We were like, no, no way, dude. It's all over the news. It's everywhere. And it was like, I think like under 1% of households have a VR headset in their living room. And we were like, ah, that's probably right. Like we're going to create this awesome VR thing and no one's going to be able to use it because nobody uses VR. Um, and, you know, we could have built the business and then if we could do something else for the next 10 years until people had VR, then it would have been relevant. But, you know, COVID for us essentially compressed probably seven or eight years of slow progress in higher ed into an eight week to 12 week window. And it also really helped us attract talent because, you know, employees to come work for us because they're working at companies that are just outdated. They've been, you know, riding on the coattails of a brand that was built in the 1980s or 1990s. And people are realizing that those solutions don't work and people don't want to work for a company that they feel like is declining, you know? So um, they saw, you know, employee or potential employees also saw us as, as a really cool opportunity to get in on the ground floor and grow with a bigger company or grow into a bigger company as opposed to decline with a big company. So that was the other element of it. When you saw all that traction or, or when you saw the kind of compression that COVID created in the space, did you have any fear of um, almost like growing too fast or scaling too quickly to a rate that you couldn't sustain as a company? I still think that timing has been everything. Uh, and even now, like we were getting anywhere from five to 10 new clients a month, which is great, but 
learning how to make those, you know, first you have to build a product that works. Then you have to learn how to sell it. Then you have to learn how to del deliver the product. Right. And uh, so we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants. We learned how to build it, how to sell it. And then also we started getting all these customers and we we're like, Oh my God, we got to figure out that we got to make sure that all of these customers are happy. And every year that, you know, comes by, they rebook with us because that's how we'll build a bigger business. Um, and we didn't start figuring that out until after we started selling because you have to have clients in order to learn that part first. And even now, I think, you know, if we were able to sign a hundred clients a month, we wouldn't be able to do it. It's good that we're going at five to 10 per month because we're getting our feet wet and that will allow us to scale effectively uh, moving forward. But we easily could have scaled too quickly and we didn't more because we just naturally did not. Had we gone and raised $5 million in venture capital and hired 15 salespeople, um, it could have been a different story. We could have had way, we would have been biting off way more than we could chew. We wouldn't have been ready for that. So I think it's, it's definitely something to be aware of. Like you want to be controlled in, in how you scale for sure. Otherwise all that money you book just isn't going to come back next year. You know, what's next for you guys. What you mentioned wanting to three X, three X, the 500,000 is, did I, did I catch that right? <laughs> yeah yeah okay okay um so yeah what's what's next what are you guys most excited about right now with campus real or yeah so i mean what what our core business like north star what we're laser focused on is uh, institutional partnerships with colleges university grad programs hospitals even non-traditional and i think what's been there's been a couple of things that have been really exciting. I think the first part is to just realize that like this solution that we've been working on for three years is so relevant and helpful to institutions throughout the country and world. But I think what we've come to appreciate is that everyone, I mean, it's not just in higher ed, but within higher ed, like undergrad community colleges, you know, from Harvard Business School on the grad level to like a small community college in Santa Barbara that you've never heard of to Mass General Hospital, all of these institutions are struggling with the same exact thing. They need video to be able to compete in a increasingly digital first world. And they just don't have the right solution to be able to create video at scale. Um, so it's all to say that our market, where what we thought the market was, was like kind of traditional four-year undergrad, um, very much building out like a college search resource. And what we realized is that the market is like six to seven times bigger than we thought it was. And, and honestly, it's probably bigger than we even realized. Like we could start working with boarding schools. We could start working with, you know, in a, like destination type uh, excursions. So I think looking forward, like we want to be powering video for every single institution across all the types throughout the U.S. and, and abroad as well. Um, we're starting to, to enter into the European market. We've signed a couple like super brand name schools uh, throughout Europe. I think we really want to scale through Europe. We want to scale through Canada and then turn our sites to Asia and, and really just have like Campus Reels flag planted on every corner of the higher ed ecosystem. Wow. Yeah, that's an, that's an ambitious but amazing goal. And um, yeah, I, I can see this in so many different use cases. Um, what would you want people, well, ask two questions. One is your, your biggest, that's cliche of a question. I think it usually gets some good answers is your biggest, what have you learned from being an entrepreneur? The one thing that you've learned and would tell your younger self starting out, what have you learned? My biggest takeaway, what I would tell my younger self, I think when you're in college and when you're a kid, just kind of growing up, like you look at adults as like 
adults and they have it figured out. And the corporate world, like big companies, big banks, like these are well-oiled machines with people who are like super sophisticated, well beyond what you could even comprehend. And they just have it down to a T. And being an entrepreneur, you just get under the hood. Uh, I mean, one, you start to like run your own operation and realize a lot of things, but you just start to get under the hood and like meeting with executives across industries. And, and, and what you start to realize is everybody is winging it. Like nobody has it figured out. Everybody is just kind of flying by the seat of their pants. Um, it's the difference between the, the aptitude and competency of a college age student who's tech savvy and motivated is really not far off from, you know, a 55 year old exec. And they're honestly, the younger kid is probably much more capable of doing stuff because they're not jaded by like 30 years of being inside of more corporate antiquated systems. Um, so my bit, like my intimidation level, like I, I just feel like, and not, I mean, this is cliche too. And, and I don't mean this in like a, a self-congratulating way, but from doing this, I feel like I can do anything. Like nothing really intimidates me, you know, going into a space. I, I just realized like people are people. I know people like, you know, everybody is just kind of trying their best and figuring it out on the fly. Um, so that's been amazing for me to realize this early on in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. I think, um, Patience, like we talked about, has been, I would say that's the single most important factor to our success so far. I always knock on wood when I say that stuff because to the next point, we haven't arrived anywhere close to where we want to be, but we're in a good spot. Um, the other thing, uh, I guess it's, it's kind of related to parts. I, the emotional toll of entrepreneurship is something I had no appreciation for at all. And and I think a lot of outsiders or people who haven't done it, like it's just impossible to know or to understand. Um, and I, I've been shocked at how much of a roller coaster it is. To your point, Sheila, like if if I weren't doing this with Nick, I'm sure I would have thrown in the towel after 12 months. Like it, would, it just would have been too much. And now that I've gone through it once, I I feel a lot more confident in my future businesses. Like I I can execute a lot more strongly. But um, there's just so many unknowns. And that speaks to the point that you can't read a textbook and do this. You just have to jump in. Um, so I would say, uh, you know, <laughs> you have to have a good, I think, support system or something there for you to get through all of the downs that are inevitable. Um, and what I'd also say kind of relates to that and what I've been working more on for myself is like, you just, you can't measure yourself against anybody else. Um, it's very easy for me to look at like what some of our friends are doing and, you know, may, depending on how much money they're making or whatever it might be, whatever your yardstick is for success. Um, if you're running your own business, like you have to just create your own yardstick. There's nobody providing a performance review for you. Um, you know, every dollar you earn has been earned because you did it right. And, and it's not like a bonus that somebody allocates. Um, if you get hit by a bus, the business isn't going to be there the next day. It's just a totally different thing. So you have to really create your own yardstick and, uh, and not worry kind of about what other people are doing, you know? And for the, for the first few years, it was very easy to be like, Oh man, if you know, I did this, I would be over there. And I, I have no regrets at all. Like, this is how I want to live my life, but I, it's easy to get kind of wrapped up in what you're missing by doing something like this, you know? Yeah. I love all the metaphors, the, the yardstick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think you can have, too big of goals how do you know like the, the realistic uh numbers or quantities or quality that you you want to hit in the next year or three years out 
And just to add on to that, like, do you think it's better to have goals that are too big or goals that are smaller than like not, not giving yourself enough credit? Yeah. I mean, I think as long as you're not delusional, then like shoot for the stars, like don't limit yourself whatsoever. As long as you know, like there's every chance in the world, you're not going to get to the point that you want to be at, like put, push, kick the can as far down the road. So even if you fall short, you're like farther than if the can was closer. Um, but I think like, like, I, I think if you don't have those big goals, it's just impossible to stay motivated and remind yourself why you're doing it. Like, especially because it's, it's so brutal on a day to day, especially like when it's, you know, before you're really getting traction and you just have to like try to find a way to keep going and convince yourself. And if you don't see that carrot at the end of the stick and what it could be, then I think it, uh, it, it really just becomes, you just become sort of like demotivated and, and you can't remind yourself why you're doing it. So I think you always need that stick, but you don't want to like live in that like big vision land. Like you just need to come back to the current moment and be like, I have some really boring, like four hours of work ahead of me that I have to do. It doesn't matter if I think that we're going to be worth this. Like today we need to accomplish what today is. Um, so I think really like everyone should shoot for the stars. And what, I, I mean, I think the only people who are really successful is because they believe they could do it and went for it. Um, but there's a lot of people who believe that they can do it and go for it and who aren't successful. So it's no guarantee from that. Um, but I think, yeah, you got to shoot for the stars, but, but there are people I think who get caught up in this big vision and it almost inflates them to the point where they're not willing to do the right now work that gets them to that point. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with all of that. Like if, if you keep your goal very, it, it just depends. It, it totally depends on also what you're looking to get out of it. Like Nick and I are in this business for reasons that my mom has her own business. She's a therapist. She's, you know, she just has her own book of 30 clients and that's what she does. And she's awesome at it. She's not trying to build this big empire, you know, and exit and everything. Um, so if, if you're approaching a business from the perspective of you want to build a big business, then you have to have that as your vision. You know, if you're thinking, you know, maybe, maybe a year from now we'll be making, you know, $10,000, you're probably not going to be willing to do all the dirty work and sacrifice the opportunity cost of what you'd earn elsewhere if you have that bigger vision of what something could turn into with everything going right, then you stay motivated. I mean, I, uh, not to bring another metaphor into it, but I really look at this whole thing as like one giant chess game. And, and it very much is like that, like a chess, it's, it's like the world's ultimate chess game. And instead of spanning over two or three hours, it's spanning over four to 10 years. And rather than being one-on-one, -on -one, it's like a whole team of people putting in thousands of hours. So it's like, the ultimate chess game. But in chess, your goal is to capture the king. But if that's the only thing you focus on, you're going to lose all your pieces very quickly. You know, like there's a million little goals that contribute to being able to win the game in the end. So it's about keeping that long-term vision out there, but you got to execute. It's all about execution. I mean, I'm sure everyone listening has heard like an idea is worth absolutely nothing. There's a million amazing ideas, a million, but if you can't execute it, just it doesn't matter. So it's all about the little things. I, I also think now that I've thought about it for a second, I also think one, uh, you need to find intrinsic value in what you're doing. You can't do everything for the reward. Like if you don't, if you're not doing it to grow or to learn or because you genuinely enjoy it, like you're just not going to stay on task. And then I, I was also thinking like, you want to have that really lofty goal, but I think, I don't know if you have to, but I think it's really beneficial to also be okay with results that are that are dramatically different maybe than that carrot at the end of the stick like I know there was a point 
um, you know, now, like we said earlier, like our goals are to take over the world with this and like really blow it out. But there was a point where Rob and I were saying like, this might just be a lifestyle business. Like, you know, we might just be able to make like a, a nice income for both of us. We don't never hire like a huge team. We don't grow it in a big way, but like we run our own company and we make some nice revenue and like maybe, you know, we only do it part-time and there's other things to do on the side. And we were okay with that. And I think that being okay with that meant that like in that sort of one to two year middle phase where we just like weren't sure where we were going, like you're then, you're not like, it, it would be so daunting to be like, it's, you know, a billion dollar company or bust like at that point, cause we just saw no path there. But if you're like, listen, I'm happy if we can just support ourselves financially, just us two through these efforts, like then you bring the flag back a lot and it's still in front of you, but it keeps you motivated and humble and you're not like completely overwhelmed. And then by the time you get to that flag, maybe the other flag is actually more attainable. So thank you guys for, for being here. I think that really wraps it up. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. Thanks guys so much for watching. We're going to be releasing episodes weekly and we're trying to hit the bar. So we're going to peace out. Be sure to like, subscribe, all the other things, all the social medias. Comment, share, retweet, copy, paste, link. Isn't that the TikTok thing? Just full send it. Get it done. Get it done. Get us some likes, guys. Hope you guys enjoy. <laughs>